السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم الحمد للہ نحمد ونستعینه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سیئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد فان احسن الكلام كلام الله خير الهدى هدى محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وان شر الامور محدثاتها وكل محدثه بدعه وكل بدعه ضلاله وكل ضلاله في النار so my lecture today is on the affirmation of al-ulu for allah azawajal which is allah's aboveness allah's highness over his creation and we'll be looking at some of the evidences some of the types of evidences from the quran and from the sunnah which the scholars have extracted scholars such as ibn al-qayyim rahimahullah ibn taymiyyah and others and they've extracted these evidences and put them into categories to establish this particular belief so before we embark upon looking at those types of evidences there are evidences from the kitab the book evidences from the sunnah evidences from the statements of the companions uh, which leads into ijma which is consensus evidences from aql rational proofs and evidences from the fitra all of these evidences collectively establish this <coughs> belief that allah azawajal is above his creation above his throne above the heavens and this is one of the distinguishing uh, statements by which we can immediately distinguish a person of the sunnah from a person of bid'ah so before we embark upon looking at the categories and types of evidences i want to <clears throat> begin the lecture by making a number of points uh, three or four points inshallah ta'ala so the first point i want to make which is that as you know the statements of ahlu sunnah the followers of the prophets and messengers the followers of the salaf their speech is very very distinct and it is very very clear and apparent and i like to give a parable or an example which is that you know from experience that when you have a person who let's say for example he's not a native english speaker and let's say he is russian and then he comes to you and he starts speaking english to you from a russian background a person who is well versed in the english language he will immediately be able to identify this person has come from russia in a similar manner a german when he speaks english he will speak it in a, in a particular way and a chinese person when he speaks english the l's and the r's they're mixing them up and you'll be able to tell this is from china and the same thing with and same thing with any language in fact with arabic as well an arabic speaker a native arabic speaker will be able to immediately tell this person trying to speak arabic is come from england this one is from russia this one from china so by way of this example what i want to illustrate by this example is it is likewise for a person of the sunnah a person of the sunnah who is well versed in the creed of the salaf and the statements of the salaf and the language that they speak 
and the words that they use in every particular instance or every particular <laughs> issue that they are speaking of, whether it is in the issue of Allah's names, His attributes, His actions, in the subject of Al-Iman, in the subject of Al-Qadr, in the subject of um, you know, how to deal with the rulers, behave with the rulers, how to behave with the people of Bid'ah. So all of these statements, a person of the Sunnah, when he hears a person speaking, he will know immediately from the language that person is speaking, I know exactly where you're coming from. So for example, if he comes across a person who says, I don't believe Allah is a body, a jism. I don't believe Allah is in a location, in a place. Straight away you know this is a jahmi. This person is a jahmi. And he's filled his mind with philosophy and kalam. Or if you see a person and you see him making dua against the ruler rather than for the ruler, for his rectification. You know this person is from, in general, from the people of, of, of you know, khuruj, khawarij and so on and so forth. And then we apply this to every single field of knowledge. So this is how a person of the sunnah is. A person of the sunnah, he can identify every statement every belief, every creed, and he can characterize every person where he's, you know, where, he's, where he's coming from. And this is because this religion, this deen of Islam, Allah has perfected this deen. And unlike Yahudiyyah and Nasraniyyah and other Adyan, they were not intended, the, the, those, those messages to those prophets were not intended to be final. However, Allah Azawajal has perfected this religion and by way, by way of the Sahaba, by way of the ulama who come after them, whatever the Prophet was upon, it will continue and be preserved. Which means that in every age and era, there will be scholars who are speaking that same language as the Sahaba and who are clarifying statements that oppose the way of the Sahaba. And this is how a person of the Sunnah should be. He should have this understanding to identify speech and statements. So this was the first point I wanted to use to introduce the subject. Then I want to mention another three points before we look at the evidences. So the first point that I want to make, and this is a principle that we have to understand. And this principle is wujub ma'rifatillah wa asma'ihi wa sifatihi bisam' la bil'aqal. What does this principle mean? This means that it is obligatory to acquire knowledge of Allah, His names and His attributes by way of revelation, not by way of reason. Right? This principle distinguishes the people of the Sunnah, those who follow the prophets and messengers and the revelation sent to them. It distinguishes them from the people who make reason to be the foundation, right? So if I was to ask you, like, we'll do it by way of a question. Um, did Allah command the people in the Qur'an to come to know Him by way of their reason or by way of His revelation? What's the answer? Hmm? By way of His revelation. What is the evidence for that? If someone said to you, well, what's the evidence for that? There are many evidences, and in fact, 
Imam Al-Lalikai rahimahullah has a chapter in the uh, end of the first volume where he mentions the obligation of knowing that Allah is, and he mentions the seven attributes, you know, life, knowledge, uh, hearing, seeing, by way of a sama a knuckle, not by way of reason. And Imam Al-Sijzi, rahimahullah, in his book, uh, he also has a chapter where he establishes the very same thing. That it is obligatory to know Allah by way of revelation, not by way of reason. Now, one of the evidences, in fact, there's a number of points to help us understand this. Uh, first of all, the evidence for that, or one of the evidences that Imam al-Sijzi, rahimahullah, mentions, is the ayah in Surah Al-Isra, وَمَا كُنَّا مُعَذِّبِينَ حَتَّى that we would never punish until after we have sent a messenger, right? So now let's imagine there's a person who does not know that Allah made istiwa over the arsh, right? Before revelation, before the Quran. Will this person be punished for not knowing this? Will he be punished for not knowing this? But he's got reason, he's got knuckle. So why should he not be punished? That's right, yeah. But, but this is a proof that he's not being punished because he didn't use his aql. Right? Is that clear? He's being punished because he denied it after the messenger came and explained that Ar-Rahman, he ascended above the throne after he created the heavens and the earth. Now he will be punished. Do you understand? Right, but before that, he will not be punished. So this is a clear proof that we are obligated to come to know Allah by way of revelation, not by way of reason. Yes, is that principle very clear? At the same time, it is possible that we can come to know Allah by way of reason. Yes, obviously we know that we can come to some limited information about Allah Azawajal. We can know that he, the fitrah tells us he exists. It tells us that he is, you know, he has knowledge, he has power, qudra, he has wisdom, some basic attributes. He is merciful, right? The reason tells us some basic information. So it is possible, it is mumkin, that the reason can give us some information about Allah right? So Ahlul Sunnah, we say it is mumkin, it is possible by way of reason to acquire some knowledge of Allah This is what we say, right? As opposed to the people of falsafa and kalam, what do they say? They say it is wajib to come to know Allah by way of reason. This is false. So we must understand from the very beginning, how do we differ from the people of falsehood? We differ on this principle. And there are evidences for this principle in the books of the Salaf, Imam Al-Lalika'i, Imam Al-Sijzi. And um, so, so from the very beginning, this is how we distinguish ourselves uh, from the people of, of, of falsehood, because we know our methodology as to how we acquire knowledge about Allah. It is from Allah Himself. And that, as you know, it makes sense to you. It, it is from reason itself, right, that you take knowledge about Allah from the one who is most knowledgeable of himself. Uh, antum a'lamu amillah. 
This is an ayah in the Quran. Antum a'lamu amillah. Are you more knowledgeable or is Allah? So this is the first principle that we must clearly uh, understand that wujub ma'rifatillah wa asma'ihi wa sifatihi bishara' aw bisama' la bil'aql it is obligatory to come to know Allah by way of revelation not by way of reason <coughs> so if you if you start the discussion <coughs> often when you come to an ash'ari maturidi jahmi the first thing that they want to draw you into is about ta'wil of the attributes right Imam Malik made ta'wil so and so made ta'wil so the, what, what they want to, want to do is they want to draw you away from discussing the basic fundamentals as to where they've gone wrong and get you involved in some detailed complicated things where you need expert knowledge right the average person isn't going to know about the Asanid and this narrator and that narrator no, people are not going to know this. So the, the tactic is to draw you into these types of discussions because the average person is not going to know this. But when you start with the basics and the fundamentals where, they, where they've gone wrong, you can stop them right in their tracks. So you, you tell them, hold on a minute, leave all this speech. Leave all this speech. Tell me, how did Allah Azawajal in the Quran order us to acquire knowledge about Allah? You tell me that. Is it by revelation? Or is it by way of reason, which is what you are doing? Right? Leave all this speech. So you, you begin from the, the, the very foundations of where they actually fall into error and where they fall into misguidance. And that's why the scholars included you know, these chapters in their works. Al-Lalakai mentioned it, Al-Sidzi mentioned it. And in fact, if you want more information about this topic, there are, there are two articles on the, on the uh, website ashari, asharis.com. And there's um, two articles that deal with this in detail. All the statements of Al-Lalika'i, As-Sidzi are translated. And you can refer to them for much more details. There's two articles on the As-Sifat uh, Al-Ilahiyah. <coughs> and uh, the difference between uh, the way of the Salaf and the uh, Kalam schools. And you'll find all that information there, inshallah ta'ala. So, this is the first point. Is that clearly understood by everybody? Right? We speak about Allah based upon what He revealed of Himself because He is most knowledgeable of His own Self and Allah is the one who obligated that upon us. So we say to these people, why are you leaving what Allah commanded you? Why are you leaving what Allah commanded you? Justify that for me. This is where you begin. This now leads us nicely into the second issue that I want to speak of which is the second principle. It's like a principle. And this second issue is one of the ways in which Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah he totally annihilated one of the Jahmiyyah not Ibn al-Qayyim in fact it was the brother of Shaykh al-Islam Ibn Taymiyyah Ibn Taymiyyah had a brother and he went and he debated with a Jahmi and he completely owned that Jahmi and even that Jahmi had to admit that you know you are speaking to me from above and you know, I, 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 you know he couldn't answer it so Ibn al-Qayyim mentions this argument uh, in his book As-Sawa'iq al-Mursala. And I want to just quickly present the basic, uh, the basic argument. And it follows on from the first principle. Right? The first principle is Allah ordered us to have knowledge of Him by way of His revelation. And we are punished by abandoning revelation 
We're not punished for not using reason before the coming of the messenger, right? Because reason is not an independent tool to acquire knowledge of Allah It is limited, right? All this is clear. This now follows, in, follows on into the second principle. What is this principle? We believe that Allah is the most knowledgeable of himself. Is that true or not true? And this is how you speak to a Ajahmi Ash'ari Maturidi. Is Allah not most knowledgeable of himself? Yes, he is. Second question, is Allah not most desirous of wanting to guide his creation? Do you agree or not agree? They will say, yes, of course he is. Allah desires to guide his creation in the simplest and the best of ways. Third question, is Allah not the most eloquent in speech? Who is better than Allah in speech? Do you believe that or not? And they will have to say yes. Is that clear now? Allah is the most knowledgeable. He is the most desirous of good for his creation. And he is the most eloquent in speech in directing his creation to the truth. Do you agree with these three things or not? No one can deny this. No one can say, no, I, I, I don't agree with this. But what's going to happen now is that as we continue the discussion, what is agreed to here will be contradicted by his, his viewpoint in the issue of the names and attributes. He's going to contradict himself by what he's agreed to here. So this is with respect to Allah Azza wa Jal. Likewise, the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, who is the most knowledgeable of the creation of Allah? The Messenger Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, is that true or not? Right? So we ask them, who is the most knowledgeable of Allah's creation of Allah? It is the Messenger of Allah Right? So he is A'lamun Nas. A'lamun Nas bi Rabbihi. He is the most knowledgeable of the people of his own of his Lord. After that, we ask, who is Ansahun Nas? Lin Nas. Who is the most, who, who is, you know, who is most sincere and in, in wanting to guide the people amongst all of the creation? It is the Messenger of Allah. Is that true or not? Did, did the Messenger want to guide his nation, his people, the people of the earth? Of course he did. And thirdly, who is Afsahun Nas? Who is the most eloquent of all people in conveying revelation? Who is that? Who is that? <coughs> okay. So now once you get this agreement, now we come to where the actual problems lie. Right? So, there are only, there are, there are three possibilities that, that where, where things start going wrong. Either Allah and his messenger were not most knowledgeable of Allah and the Jahmiyyah and the philosophers who use their own, they have their own language how they speak about Allah. How do we speak about Allah? We say Allah is Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim, He has Rahmah, Hikmah, He made Istwa over the throne, right? He has Muhab, he, he, he has Hub, He loves His servants, right? He has the, Sifatul Wajh and so on and so forth. This is how we speak. How are we speaking? From the Quran and the Sunnah. How do they speak? They have a different language, right? The Jahmiyyah. They say Allah is not in a place, not in a location, He's not confined, He doesn't have parts, He doesn't have limbs, um, He this, He's that. All this language is philosophical speech, right? It's negations of Allah. 
So, as you know, there's a completely different language that the people of the Sunnah have and the people of falsehood have. That we know this very clear. Yeah? So now we ask, there's, there's three things that have gone wrong. Where have they gone wrong? So we ask, you've already agreed that Allah is most knowledgeable and the Messenger is most knowledgeable. So either they didn't know the language that you're using, so they were ignorant. How come, did, did they know it or did they not know it? Which of the two is it? Right? They cannot say, oh Allah didn't know this speech. Or the messenger didn't know this speech. Why? Because this now is kufr. Right? So they can never say, oh Allah didn't know this speech. Right? So now we've got them to agree that Allah did know this speech. He knew all of this speech of the philosophers that came before Islam and how they were trying to describe the Creator, how the Jews described the Creator, how the Christians described the Creator. Allah knew all of this. Right? So either he knew that language you're using or he didn't know that language that you're using. So they will have to agree, yes, Allah did have knowledge of that. Okay, so now if Allah and his messenger did have knowledge of that language and they chose not to use it, it can only be one of two situations. Either Allah intended goodness for his creation or Allah didn't want to intend, didn't intend goodness for his creation, right? So in other words, if the truth was in your language and Allah is most desirous of wanting good for his, for his creation, why did he not use this language in the Qur'an? You understand the point here, right? Because there are three things, most knowledgeable, most desirous of guiding, and most eloquent. Now we are dealing with the second one. How come Allah didn't use this language then? How come these people are using all this language and you've agreed that Allah must have known that language and the Messenger must have known that language but how come we don't find it in the book? How come we don't find it in the Sunnah? Why the, this can only be for one of two reasons it is because Allah knew it and hid it from the people in this case this would mean Allah was not most desirous of guiding his, his creation right? so is that what you are saying? Right? they can't say this because this would be kufr if they say yes Allah knew it and the Messenger knew it but he deliberately didn't use it. This now is kufr as well. This now comes to the third possibility. So Allah knew it, and his messenger knew it, and they have to agree, yes, Allah is most desirous of wanting goodness for his creation. So the only third possibility why he didn't do so was because he wasn't able to express it. <coughs> right? He wasn't able to express it in the language that these people are using. So either Allah is not, you know, so Allah wasn't able to, or the Messenger wasn't able to use that same language that you guys are using. Right? So which of these three is it? And on everyone, the Jahmi can never ever disagree. Do you understand this argument? So when the brother of Shaykh Salam ibn Taymiyyah, he used this argument against the Jahmi, this Jahmi had to, he had to humble himself and submit and say, you know, you, you are speaking to me from above. He admitted that he's been completely owned and destroyed. Right? So in other words, this now is the second principle. What is, how can we explain, how can we um, uh, present this principle? We can say Allah is most knowledgeable of himself. He is the most desirous of wanting good for his creation. And he is the most eloquent in speech. And likewise his messenger, he is a'lamun nas, he is ansahun nas, and he is afsahun nas in what he conveys. 
And they, Allah and His Messenger, indeed conveyed everything that we need to know to have knowledge of our Lord. And the truth lies in that speech. And it does not lie in the speech of those who say that we can come to know Allah by way of reason. Is all of that very, very clear? Yes? That's very clear. This now leads us into the third issue that I want to mention very, very quickly. And the third issue is, follows on from the second one, which is what, therefore, are, how can we summarize the principles of Ahlul Sunnah in speaking about Allah? This now follows on from the second point. And so this we do by summarizing what has been mentioned from, by Ibn Taymiyyah, from Imam Ahmed and others, which is our principle in speaking about Allah Azawajal, it is an use of Allah, an use of Allah, bima wasafa bihi nafsa, aw wasafa hu bihi rasuluh, wala yutajawaz al-Qur'an, wala yutajawaz al-Qur'an, wal hadith. It's said by Imam Ahmed, that we describe Allah with whatever he described himself with. This makes perfect sense from the first two principles, right? First principle, Allah has obligated upon us to come to know him by way of revelation, not by way of reason. And the second principle, Allah is most knowledgeable, most desirous of guidance, and most eloquent, and likewise his messenger. It therefore follows naturally that this has to be the methodology. There's no other way. So the principle is that Allah is described with whatever he described himself, and with what his messenger described him, and we do not go beyond the Qur'an and the Hadith. And there are many, many other statements from uh, the Salaf, uh, from the Imams of the Salaf, which have a similar, uh, you know, a similar meaning. So again, because of shortage of time, and there's like too much material, uh, you can refer back and you can find these particular statements. But I want to just mention three statements from some of the Fuqaha. Why? To make it clear to those who oppose us from the Jahmiyyah, Ash'ariyah, Mu'tazila, that this is what the Fuqaha, like, um, you know, the, the Abu Hanifa, his students, and likewise Imam Malik and his students, likewise Ash-Shafi'i and his students, and Ahmed bin Hanbal, the students, that this is exactly what they were upon. Uh, this was agreed upon by all of the jurists. So from those statements is um, Muhammad bin, bin al-Hassan al-Shaybani, rahimahullah, he's the companion of Abu Hanifa, and he said, اتفق الفقهاء كلهم من المشرق إلى المغرب على الإيمان بالقرآن والأحاديث التي جاء بها الثقات عن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم في صفة الرب عز وجل من غير تفسير ولا وصف ولا تشبيه فمن فسر شيئا من ذلك فقد خرج مما كان عليه النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم وفارق الجماعة فإنهم لم يصفوا ولم يفسروا ولكن أفتوا بما في الكتاب والسنة ثم سكتوا فمن قال بقول جحم فقد فارق الجماعة لأنه قد وصفه بصفة لا شيء. So this is very clear and apparent. He said all of the fuqaha. So remember, he is early first century, early first century. From the east into the west, they agreed upon having iman in the Quran, the hadith, which the trustworthy ones have narrated from the messenger of Allah in description of the Lord Azza wa Jal, without making you know, novel explanations, without any additional uh, description, without resemblance. So anyone who comes today and starts explaining, this is what the Jahmiyyah were doing, giving new interpretations, making ta'wil, inventing things, then this person has departed from what the Messenger was upon, and he's abandoned the Jama'ah, because they did not describe from themselves, 
nor did they bring explanations from, them, from, from themselves. But they gave verdicts on account of what is in the Kitab and the Sunnah, then they remained silent. So anyone who speaks with the saying of Jahm bin Safwan, then he has separated from the Jama'ah, because Jahm described Allah with a description that amounts to nothing. Right? He described with a description that amounts to nothing. Likewise from Imam al-Shafi'i rahimahullah ta'ala, and most of the Ash'aris who came after, they, they were Shafi'is in fiqh. Right? Uh, and, and, you know, they ascribe to a Shafi'i, but he's not upon their creed. He's not upon their creed. So he said, as is related from him, he was asked a question about the uh, Sifat. He said, آمَنْتُ بِكَلَامِ اللَّهِ عَلَى مُرَادِ اللَّهِ وَآمَنْتُ بِكَلَامِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ عَلَى مُرَادِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ I believe in the speech of Allah upon the intent of Allah, how Allah intended it. And I believe in the speech of the Messenger of Allah upon the intent of the Messenger of Allah. Why did he make this statement? It is because there were Jahmiya, Bishr al-Marisi and Hafs and other people who were there and they were making interpretations, giving explanations from themselves other than the one which was in the text. So he made it clear that I believe in these texts upon the intent of Allah which is the meaning that it came with in the clear apparent Arabic language. Likewise, he has a statement when he was asked about the attributes and he said, لِلَّهِ أَسْمَاءٌ وَصِفَاتٌ لَا يَسَعُ أَحَدًا قَامَتْ عَلَيْهِ الْهُجَّةِ رَدَّهَا Allah has names and attributes and anyone upon whom the proof has been established, meaning by way of the texts, it, there's no room for him to reject them because the Quran was revealed with them and they are authentic from the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu So anyone for in ذلك بعد ثبوت الحجة عليه فهو كافر. Anyone who denies that after the establishment of the proof, then he is a disbeliever. And likewise, from uh, there is Imam Ahmed as well, and uh, there's a statement. Uh, in fact, numerous statements from Imam Ahmed and uh, He was asked a question about the various attributes of Allah, uh, about the attributes of seeing Allah in the hereafter, you know, uh, and so on and so forth. And he said, we accept the reports, we submit to them exactly as they have come. So uh, these are just some statements. You know, there are hundreds of other statements which establish the methodology of the people of the Sunnah. We describe Allah with what he described himself and we stick to the text and we don't start inventing explanations and so on and so forth and we convey the text exactly as they came. Very simple. So all of these three points that are mentioned, they flow into each other, one into the each other. The first one, how is it obligatory to know Allah? This falls into the second one, which is Allah is most knowledgeable of his own self and so on and so forth. And then it follows into the actual methodology that we describe Allah, how he described himself and how his messenger described him. So this was just a general introduction to all of the attributes. Now we come to one of those attributes, which is the ulu of Allah This is Allah's aboveness and Allah's highness above his creation. And Ibn al-Qayyim, rahimahullah, he says in some nice poetry, he says, Ya qawm, wallahi al-azim, لِقَوْلِنَا أَلْفٌ تَدُلُّ عَلَيْهِ بَلْ أَلْفَانٌ he says, O people, by Allah, by Allah the Mighty, for our statement, meaning our statement that Allah is above His creation, there are a thousand, meaning proofs, that indicate it. 
Rather, there are 2,000 aqlan wa naqlan. There are 2,000 proofs, either by way of reason or by way of revelation. Alongside the, the original uncorrupted, the first fitra, that indicates it as well. And likewise, the, 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 the sweetness of the taste of Iman, that indicates it as well. A person who has tasted the sweetness of Iman, even that indicates it as well. Then he says, Kullun yadullu bi annahu subhanahu fawqa samai mubayinun mubayinun lil akwan aw mubayinul akwan. So which means all of that indicates that he, the sublime, is above the heaven, separate from his creations. So basically, in the texts of the Quran and the Sunnah, there are over a thousand or two thousand direct and indirect proofs. And likewise, by way of reason, and likewise, by way of fitra, and likewise, even just by way of the sweetness of when a person acquires iman, that tells him as well that Allah is above his creation. So once that is clear, we're now going to look at, in this next section of the talk, we're going to look at a range of evidences, and Ibn al-Qayyim divides them into 20 types. There are 20 different types of evidences, all of which indicate Allah is above his creation. So I'm going to mention maybe six or seven types of them, inshallah ta'ala, because we have a shortage of time. And then we want to move on to looking at you know, arguments of reason, arguments of fitra, and some nice statements from some other salaf as well. So I'm going to go through this uh, and mention many, many proofs. <coughs> you need to take the type of proof with a few quick examples. Right? So the first type of proof that establish Allah is above his creation. And this is by way of names which are very explicit in indicating that he is above his creation. Right? So these names are very clear in their meanings. There's, there's no argument here. The meanings of these names are such that he is above his creation. So from those names is first of all, the same to Allah Azawajal, Subbihisma Rabbikal A'la. Glorified be the name of your Lord, Al-A'la, who is the Most High. The Most High. And likewise, Wahuwa Al-Aliyul Azim. At the end of Ayatul Kursi. Wahuwa Al-Ali. Ali meaning the Most High. Al-Aliyul Azim, Mighty. The third one is Alimul Ghibi wa Shahada, Al-Kabir, Al-Kabir, Al-Muta'al. The one who knows the unseen, what is hidden and what is seen, Al-Kabir, the great, Al-Muta'al, the one who is exalted, the one who is lofty. <coughs> and likewise, the statement of Allah Azawajal, who al awwal wal-akhir, wal-zahir, wal-batin. So, four names, the first and the last, and the zahir, the one who is the uppermost, and al-batin, which is the nearmost. And as you know that the Messenger of Allah he explained the meaning of these um, names as did uh, some of the Sahaba. Al-Awwal, the one before whom there was none. Al-Akhir, after whom there is none. Al-Zahir, above whom there is none. And Al-Batin, uh, this, this, uh, the word Al-Batin means uh, that Allah is closer, is the closest to everything, meaning with his knowledge, with his knowledge. 
no one is closer to anything than Allah is closer to that thing. Meaning in terms of knowledge, in terms of knowledge. Even though he is above his throne, above the seven heavens, above his creation. So the first type of proof, and in fact, in Surah Al-Kahf, where the story is mentioned of Ya'juj and Ma'juj, and where Dhul Qarnayn, he builds the barrier, then in, in, in the ayah that follows that, Allah Azawajal, he says, فَمَسْطَاعُوا فَمَسْطَاعُوا أَنْ يَظْهَرُوا وَمَسْتَطَاعُوا لَهُ نَقَبًا Which means that Ya'juj and Ma'juj were not able أَنْ يَظْهَرُوا It uses the word ظَهَرَ And then after it says, وَمَسْتَطَاعُوا لَهُ نَقَبًا So they were not able to pass over it, nor were they able to penetrate it meaning go through this barrier and get on the other side. So basically he used two descriptions. One is to go over, so one of the, in other words, meaning that one of the meanings of the word Zahir, Zahara, Zuhur, it means over, above. And the second thing he mentioned was to pass through it. So this is clear that the meaning of the word Zahir has the meaning of Ulu, has the meaning of aboveness. <clears throat> so this is the first type of proof explicit names which have no other meaning the second type of proof is there are certain attributes of Allah that he's given to himself which again are very clear and explicit min Allahi dhil ma'arij min Allahi dhil ma'arij from Allah who is the owner of the ways of ascent the ways of ascent and the ways of ascent obviously means that things rise to him and things, you know, angels descend from him. And there are many other evidences that fall into this category as well. This now is a second type of category, which is, uh, you know, uh, from the sifat of Allah, which he described himself with, they indicate his ulu. The third type of proof is where it is explicitly mentioned with the, with, 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 with the, with the harf, with the particle, fawq, above. Explicitly in the Quran and in the sunnah. So from those examples, in Surah Al-An'am, وَهُوَ الْقَاهِرُ فَوْقَ عِبَادِهِ وَهُوَ الْقَاهِرُ فَوْقَ عِبَادِهِ He is Al-Qahir, the compeller. He is above his servants. He is above his servants. And likewise, a statement about the angels, يَخَافُونَ رَبَّهُمْ مِنْ فَوْقِهِمْ وَيَفْعَلُونَ مَا يُؤْمَرُونَ The angels fear their Lord from above them. Meaning their Lord is above them and they fear and they fear him and they do whatever they are commanded. And then there are many other statements in the Sunnah and from the Sahaba which mention the word Fawq. For example, um, the statement of Zainab radiallahu anha narrated by Anas bin Malik who used to boast that Allah married her to the Prophet she said, Allah married me to the Messenger of Allah from above the seven heavens. Why? Because this was when the Messenger was commanded to marry the wife of his, uh, what used to be his adopted son. Right? This, uh, the Arabs used to adopt sons and make them into their own sons. And so this was abolished by the Quran and he was ordered to marry Zainab who was the former wife of his adopted son in order to uh, abolish this practice because it was an unjust practice and so because that command came in the Quran 
Then Zainab used to boast to the other wives, saying that Allah married me to the Messenger of Islam from above the seven heavens. And likewise, the judgment of Sa'ad bin Mu'adh against the Yahud who fought against uh, the Messenger of Allah And so they wanted Sa'ad bin Mu'adh to judge them. And he judged them according to the Torah, because in the Torah it says, in Deuteronomy it says, that when you fight an enemy and they do not, you know, they, they decide to um, resist, and you hold them into siege, and they don't, and they don't, and they don't give up. Then, when you eventually, uh, after the siege, you, you you take them, then the judgment is that the men amongst them should be killed, and the women should be whatever. This is the judgment of the Torah. So they, so Sa'd and Mu'adh judged them according to their own law. They were given justice according to their own law, and this judgment, as he said. Uh, Sa'ad bin Mu'adh, uh, he, he, uh, the Messiah said to him, to Sa'ad bin Mu'adh, لَقَدْ حَكَمْتَ فِيهِمْ بِحُكْمِ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى مِنْ فَوْقِ That you have indeed judged them with the judgment of Allah from above the seven heavens. Now there are many other narrations like this, but you get the point. It's important to understand the type of proof under which many other statements come. So this is the third type of uh, proof which is the use of the word fawq very very clearly and explicitly keep in mind also the principles we mentioned earlier was the messenger ignorant of this language that he should have been using of the philosophers that he, every time he was using this language right, was were the sahaba ignorant of this language keep in mind those principles right because the deen of the Jahmiyyah implies that the Sahaba were completely ignorant and the Messenger was completely ignorant and that what Allah revealed in his book, all of it is Tajseem and Kufr and Tashbih and statements of disbelief according to their principles, right? You have to keep in mind those principles. The fourth type of proof is where the verses or the statements clearly mention that Allah is above the heaven using the word Fissama, Fissama. And there are many types that come, many examples that come under this. So, for example, as we see in Surah Al Mulk, do you feel secure or safe that he who is above the heaven, above the heaven, in the next ayah, or do you feel secure that he who is above the heaven? And the Sahaba explained this is referring to Allah. This is a reference to Allah. Also, this word fi, there's a question about these particles, huruful jar. You know, um, do they have their own meanings or do they have no fixed meaning? Right? And the scholars of the language discuss this issue. And they explain that these huruful jar have like a basic meaning. So fi has a meaning, ala has a meaning, ina has a meaning, uh, a basic meaning. But then they can also be used in place of each other as well right so fi can be used with the meaning of ala and ila can be mean can also be used with meaning of ala and so on and so forth this is clearly known and understood in the language so here when allah he says it means he who is above the heaven not in the heaven what is the evidence for this the evidence for this is in the quran itself for example 
Allah Azawajal, he says uh, with respect to Fir'aun when Fir'aun was going to crucify those magicians who became believers he said I'm going to crucify you fi the trunks of trees he didn't mean in the trunk he meant on the trunk very clear second example is the statement of Allah Azawajal قُلْ سِيرُوا فِي الْأَرْضِ Say, travel upon the earth. Even though he said, even though he said, فِي الْأَرْضِ In the earth. Doesn't mean dig into the earth and he said, سِيرُوا فِي الْأَرْضِ Which means travel upon, upon the earth. And this is how Shaykh Ibn Taymin, rahimahullah, explained this very clearly. He said that this statement, قُلْ سِيرُوا فِي الْأَرْضِ يَعْنِي عَلَى الْأَرْضِ وَلَيْسَ مَعْنَاهَا أَنَّ الْإِنسَانِ its meaning is not that a man, you know, he digs under the earth and then as when he's dug a tunnel, he then starts walking in the tunnel. Clearly, this is not what is meant. And this is clear evidence that it means to travel upon, upon the, or above the earth. Another evidence is the statement of the, or the hadith, Irhamu man fil ard, yarhamukum man fil sama. Now this is from the hadith. Show mercy to those who are meaning upon the earth and Allah will show mercy and he who is above the heaven will show mercy to you so again we see the scholars explain in refutation of the Jahmiyyah if it meant in the earth then is Allah saying to us that show mercy to those things which are you know the worms and the things which are underneath you know underneath the earth of course it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that it means those who are above, on the surface of the earth, of people who are around you. This is what it means. And animals which are upon the earth, be merciful to them. That's what it means. So therefore, in the same way when it says, يَرْحَمُكُمْ مَنْ فِي السَّمَاءِ It means Allah is above, you know, He is above uh, the heaven. And also, when the Messenger of Islam, when He said to the leader of the Khawarij, when the Khariji, He came, and He was unhappy the way, that the messenger of Allah was dis distributing the charity and he, because they wanted a share and he said ittaqillah ya muhammad ittaqillah o muhammad fi allah this is not this is not justice and so the messenger of allah he said to him ala ta'manuni wa ana aminu man fi as-sama' ya'tini khabru as-sama'i sabahan wa masa'an he said will you not will, will you not trust me Whilst I am the one trusted by Allah, how can you not trust me when Allah entrusted me with revelation? And he said, I am the trusted one of the one who is above the heaven. And revelation comes to me in the morning and the evening. And so there are many other statements likewise which bring the word Fissima. In fact, one of them is the famous hadith of the slave girl. You all know this evidence. There was the companion, Mu'awiyah ibn al-Hakam al-Sulami, and he had a companion, and one day, like a, you know, a, a wolf came, and it took one of the sheep, uh, the sheep, and he was, became very angry, and he slapped it on the face, and he felt remorse, and he came to the messenger of the Sallam, and he said, shall I not free her? So the messenger asked him to bring her, because he wanted to test her iman, to see, to, to see if she was a believer. What two questions did he ask? The first was about Al-Ulu and the second was about his messengership. And this means that Iman is based upon these two things. 
right? Knowing that your Lord is above the heaven and knowing that this is the messenger of Allah So he brought her to him. He said to her, Ain Allah, where is Allah? She said, Fissama, meaning above the heaven. And then he said, Man ana? And she said, Anta Rasulullah, you are the messenger of Allah So again, uh, in, in refuting the doubts of the opposers, because they tried to cast doubt about this hadith, Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, he said, first of all, the messenger of Allah he asked this question, Ain Allah. And if this was a corrupt question, a question which opposed our creed, right, then the messenger of Allah would never have asked such a question. But this is not the case. He clearly asked her the question. So how can this be a corrupt you know, question? First of all, secondly, he heard her answer. She said, Fissama. And then how could he remain silent and not correct this slave girl if to say Allah is above the heaven was disbelief and tajseem and tashbih and putting Allah in a location and in a place in a diary? Why did he remain silent? Right? So this clearly is a refutation of those people who try to argue otherwise. Likewise, Imam al-Darimi, rahimahullah ta'ala, in his refutation of the Jahmiyyah, he said, this is an evidence, هذا دليل على أن الرجل إذا لم يعلم أن الله عز وجل في السماء دون الأرض فليس بمؤمن. This is clear evidence that when a man does not know that Allah عز وجل is above the heaven, as opposed to the, to the earth, he cannot be a believer. And then he says, وَلَوْ كَانَ الْأَمْرُ عَلَى مَا يَدَّئِ هَؤُلَاءِ الزَّائِغَةِ if the affair was like what those deviant people claim, meaning the Jahmiyyah, the messenger would have criticized her and rejected her answer. However, she, you know, she, she knew it, and the messenger of Allah, she, he accepted her statement, and he testified to her faith in respect to that. Then we have many other statements from the uh, scholars in refutation of some of the doubts of the people of falsehood. So this is type number five, Fissama. Type number six is Al-Istiwa. Al-Istiwa. And so Al-Istiwa is something that we could not know except by way of revelation. As for Al-Ulu, this is something we can know by way of Fitra and by way of reason as well. But al-istiwa specifically, we have no way of knowing this. Why? Because it is akhbar, it is khabar of the unseen. We, do, we didn't know this. Uh, Allah informed us that this is what he did, that he made istiwa after he created the heavens and the earth. So seven ayat in the Quran, as you know, ar-Rahmanu al-arsh istawa, thumma istawa al-arsh, meaning after he created the heavens and the earth. And so these are clear evidences uh, from uh, the, the Quran. And the meaning of al-istiwa is al-ulu, meaning Allah is above or raised. And likewise, it means al-irtifa' al-irtifa' al-ulu, al-irtifa' al-sa'ada means to ascend. And you know, this is again a lengthy discussion. We could also go into some of the doubts of the people of innovation. When a man came in front of Imam Malik, and he'd been delving into this, you know, philosophy and things like that. And he started asking the question, how did Allah make istiwa? What is istiwa? How did Allah make istiwa? Imam Malik treated him as a mubtada. And he asked him to be uh, 
thrown out. And he said, the al-istiwa ma'loom, istiwa is, is, you know, it is known. And to ask questions about it, it is a bid'ah. And he ordered the man to be expelled. So again, we could go into many, you know, issues to do with that. But for shortage of time, we want to just quickly move on. And also from the arguments, evidences which are clearly in uh, the Qur'an and Sunnah, is the fact that things rise to Allah and things descend from Allah. Meaning the angels, righteous actions, uh, things of that nature. There are many evidences like this. So from them, تَنزِيلٌ مِنْ حَكِيمٍ حَمِيدٍ the Qur'an was revealed, sent down from Hakim Hamid, the one who is the most wise, the most praiseworthy. The angels and the ruh, meaning Jibreel, ascend to him on a day whose, whose length is 50,000 years. يُدَبِّرُ الْأَمْرَ مِنَ السَّمَاءِ إِلَى الْأَرْضِ ثُمَّ يَعْرُجُ إِلَيْهِ that he regulates the affair from the heaven to the earth, then it rises to him. Then Isa alayhi salam, وَمَا قَتُلُوهُ يَقِينًا بَرَّفَعَهُ اللَّهُ إِلَيْهِ They did not kill Isa alayhi salam, but rather Allah raised him to himself. يَا عِيسَى إِنِّي مُتُوَفِّيكَ وَرَافِئُكَ إِلَيْهِ Isa, indeed, I will take you, I will take your soul, and I will raise you to myself. إِلَيْهِ يَسْعَدُ الْكَلِمُ الطَّيِّبُ وَالْعَمَلُ الصَّالِحِ يَرْفَعُ to him rises the good speech, meaning kalima la ilaha illallah. And the righteous action, he raises it. So again, we can now go on and mention many, many other statements about the angels. For example, uh, there are some angels and they come looking for the majalis of dhikr. Right? This is an authentic hadith. And they look for the majalis of dhikr. When they find the majlis, they sit and they sit with the people and you know they, the, their wings extend their wings until there are so many angels that sit that, that the heaven becomes full when they find a gathering of dhikr of Allah being mentioned of ilm being taught and then they sit and then um, what happens is uh, when they leave فَإِذَا تَفَرَّقُوا عَرَجُوا وَسَعَدُوا إِلَى السَّمَاءِ then they start ascending up to the heaven and then Allah asks them even though Allah knows best about his servants, he says, where have you come from? And they say, جِئْنَا مِنْ عِنْدِ عِبَادٍ لَكْ فِي الْأَرْضِ يُسَبِّحُونَكَ وَيُكَبِّرُونَكَ وَيُحَلِّلُونَكَ وَيُحَمِّدُونَكَ وَيَسْأَلُونَكَ We come from servants of yours, they were glorifying you, uh, declaring your greatness, uh, making tahleel, la ilaha illallah, and praising you and asking you. And there are many other statements like this uh, that we could mention, uh, but again, uh, we don't want to, uh, we just need to understand the types of evidences and the types of words which have been used to show that Allah has indicated His ulu in His book in so many different ways, so many different types of statements and angles that it is undeniable that this is from His loftiest of attributes, that He is above the creation, above the seven heavens. So now we want to move on and we want to just mention some statements from the companions, then from the salaf, then from Ijma', then we want to present some arguments of reason, rational arguments from Imam Ahmed and Ibn Al-Qayyim. Then we want to finish by way of, we want to finish the lesson by way of an argument <coughs> from Fitra, insha'Allah ta'ala. So as for the companions, um, so as for the companions, then there are many. Um, from them is the statement 
of Ibn Abbas anhuma, that he came to Aisha anha whilst she was passing away. And he said to her, you are the most beloved of the women of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and he would not love except that which was tayyib. And Allah sent down the declaration of your innocence from above the seven heavens. Meaning that Aisha radiallahu anha was declared to be innocent of the slander of the hypocrites from above the seven heavens because it was revealed in the Quran. So here Ibn Abbas made this statement from above the seven heavens. Likewise, Abu Muj- uh, Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma, he was alive when the Qadariya appeared. The Qadariya were the ones who denied Qadr. And he was alive then. So he said, as is related uh, in Sharh Usul al Intiqad of Lalikai, he said, they reject the book. Anyone who denies Al Qadr has denied the Quran. If I was to grab the hair of one of them, I would grab them by the forelock. I Meaning he would grab them by the forelock and grab them by the hair like this. Indeed, Allah the Mighty Majestic was above his throne before he created anything. Then he created the creation. And then he wrote, whatever would happen until the day of judgment. And indeed, the people proceed upon an affair that has already <coughs> been concluded. Meaning affirming the Qadr of Allah Azawajal. So these are two statements. Again, for length of time, it's only by way of illustration. We could give many, many others. Then we have statements from the Salaf. We have about 50 statements from the Salaf. And we just want to choose a few quick examples, inshallah ta'ala. From them is... The statement of, in fact, I'm going to specifically choose certain statements from the first century because in the early first century was when the Jahmiyyah began to appear. In the time of, you know, Ayyub al-Sakhtiyani, Suleiman al-Taymi, uh, Ibn Juraj and others, right? And these scholars, when they were listening to this speech, what are these people saying? Allah is not in a direction, Allah is not in a place, Allah is not confined, Allah is not... The Salaf, because they, they had knowledge of the Qur'an Sunnah, they knew exactly what these people were trying to say, but in an indirect way. Right? So listen to these statements. Ayyub al-Sakhtiyani, rahimahullah, he died 131 Hijrah. Suleiman bin Harb said, I heard Hamad bin Zaid say, I heard Ayyub al-Sakhtiyani say, after the Mu'tazila were mentioned to him, he said, the central axis of the Mu'tazila is that they want to say there is nothing above the heaven. There's no Lord above the heaven. This is what they want to say. But they're not saying explicitly. They're using, they're using indirect speech. Oh, you can't say Allah is in a direction. This would mean, if Allah is in a direction, this means he is in a space. And if he's in a space, it means he's occupying that space. And if he's occupying that space, it means he must be a body. Right? This is all philosophical nonsense. The language of the Greek philosophers. This is where they got this from. So, the Salaf, when they were hearing this speech, they figured out, I know exactly what you're trying to say. You are trying to say, there is no Lord above the Arsh. Allah, there's no, there's no Lord above the Arsh, above the heavens. This is what you're really trying to say. So, there are many statements which are like this, uh, from the Salaf. Likewise, uh, Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak, uh, ibn al-Mubarak, he said, We know our Lord to be above his seven heavens. He ascended over the throne. 
and he is separate and distinct from his creation and we do not say as the Jahmiya say very clear uh, Jarir al-Dabbi and he was one of the muhaddithin of Ar-Rai I heard Jarir bin Abdul Hamid saying the speech of the Jahmiya its beginning is honey and its end is poison starts off as honey and its end is poison they are trying to say there is no deity above the heaven so in other words when these people like the Ash'aris and Maturidis when they come to the average person they'll say to him you know Akhi Tawheed, Allah's Tawheed we have to purify Allah of defects and you know we, we, we are like we are bodies we, we, we exist in space and time and you know if we were to say Allah is confined, that we we made him like the bodies. So an average person, when he listens to this speech, he thinks, yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, this is right. Sounds good. This they are purifying Allah from you know from being like His creation. So this is now the honey at the beginning. Then, as you go further and further and further, and you realize what the implications are of this speech, what it really means is, oh, if you say. Uh, like what is said in the Quran and the Sunnah that Allah is above the creation, above the seven heavens, that He rose above His throne, right? You are saying that you have now made Allah to be like His creation. This is false. This is false. Because they are using false reasoning to come to this conclusion. This is nowhere to be found in the Quran or to be found in the Sunnah. So the end conclusion of it is poison. That's exactly what the Salaf, they, they recognize this speech you know exactly where this uh, was ending up with um, a beautiful narration Abdullah bin Ja'far al-Razi died 200 hijra he said from Salih bin Ad-Daris who said Abdullah bin Abi Ja'far al-Razi this is mentioned by uh, al-Zahabi in al-Ulu listen to this narration Abdullah began beating the head of a relative of his who held the view of Jahan bin Safwan. So I saw him beating him on the head with a sandal while he was saying, so he's got a sandal and he's beating him on the head and he's saying, no, I will not stop. Not until you say, Ar-Rahman wa al-Arshi istawa, ba'inun min khalqihi. Not until you say that. He was beating him like this, like this, like this. Not until you say this. Another statement, um, Another statement, we'll finish with this one inshallah ta'ala. Hisham bin Ubaidullah al-Razi died 221 Hijrah. Ibn Abi Hatim said, Ali bin al-Hasan bin Yazid al-Sulami narrated to us, I heard my father saying, I heard Hisham bin Ubaidullah al-Razi, and a man had been imprisoned for tajahum. A man had been imprisoned for holding the view of Jahan bin Safwan. And he claimed he had repented. So he was brought to be examined. So Hisham said to him, do you testify that Allah is above his throne? and separate and distinct from his creation ba'inun min khalqihi he said i don't know what what this ba'inun min khalqihi is i don't know what this speech is meaning do you believe that allah is above his throne separate and distinct from his creation why because the jahmi was saying allah is everywhere so it's possible for a jahmi to say yes i believe allah is above his throne and stop there because at the same time, he also believes Allah is everywhere. But he doesn't need to say that. Do you understand? So you would say to him, do you believe Allah is above the throne? 
He'll say, yes, of course I believe. Stop there. And you wouldn't know that he's a Mubtadir. But if you say to him, do you believe Allah is above his throne? Ba'inun min khalqihi. Separate from his creation. Now you've, now you've put him in a spot to identify whether he's Mubtadir or whether he's truthful. So this Jahmi said, who claimed to have made Tawbah, he said, um, yes, I believe Allah is above the Arsh, but this thing about Ba'inun min khalqihi, separate from his creation, I, I don't know what this is. So he said, send him back to prison because he's not made Tawbah. He hasn't made Tawbah. So we'll stop with that narration. And this shows as well that when people claim to make Tawbah, someone claims to make Tawbah. I used to be a Qutbi, I used to be a Sururi. I used to make the creed of the rulers. Right now I've repented him upon the Sunnah. And at the same time you see him, oh, look, look at these Jamis and Madkhalis and this, whatever. This now is a proof that you didn't make Tawbah. He was still a Sururi and a Qutbi and whatever else. Right, do you understand? So not everybody who makes Tawbah after being upon bid'ah, is his tawbah sincere? Or he could be sincere, but there are remnants of that poison still coming from him, and he hasn't removed jahl from himself. He needs to remove jahl from himself even more, so that his tawbah is completed. You understand? These are issues that we must be very, we must understand because these things are happening around us. Right, a person upon bid'ah for 10, 15 years. Sufi, whatever else, and then he claims he's become Salafi now. And he starts giving lessons, you know, two, a year afterwards. After 15 years of Bidaw being a Sufi, grave wash, whatever. Right? There are people like this coming in, uh, on the scene, coming on the tube, coming on social media. Right? Qutubis, Sururis, uh, Jahmis, Sufis, 10, 15 years, poisoned with all of the 10, 15 years. Do you think he's going to escape that poison when he starts claiming to speak in the name of the Sunnah? No. Right? So we must be aware of these things. So we'll stop with that. These are narrations from the Salaf. Next is um, citation by way of uh, Ijma. So we have 10 statements which mention Ijma. I'm going to mention just a few of them. Imam Al Awza'i Rahimullah died 157. <laughs> We was the tabi'un were widespread, widespread. We would say indeed Allah is above his arsh, very clear. Imam Qutayba bin Sa'id died 240 hijra. This is the statement of the leading imams in Islam and the Sunnah and the Jama'ah. We know our Lord to be in the seventh heaven above his arsh. Likewise, a statement of Ijma from the Aqidah of the two Razis, similar statement. Likewise, the statement of Ibn Battah al-Ukbari, he mentions it in um, his uh, Al-Ibana. Babul Iman bi anna Allah al-Arshihi ba'inun min khalqihi wa ilmuhu muhitun bi khalqihi ajma'al muslimuna min al-sahabu wa tabi'een uh, and all of the people of knowledge of the believers that Allah wa Taala is upon his upon His throne above His samawat, ba'inun min khalqihi. He cited this as an ijma of the Sahaba and the Tabi'een. Likewise, Abu Umar al-Talmanki al-Andalusi, Abu Nasr al-Sijzi mentions the the uh, consensus. And finally, Abu Uthman al-Sabuni died 449 Hijra. So from al-Awza'i, first century, 157. 2nd century, 3rd century, 4th century, to, to the 5th century, 
ijma being cited in all of these centuries on this particular belief. So uh, he says, وَيَأْتَقِدْ أَصَابُ الْحَدِيثِ وَيَشْهَدُونَ أَنَّ اللَّهَ فَوْقَ سَبْعَ سَمَاوَاتِهِ عَلَىٰ عَرْشِهِ كَمَا نَتَقَ كِتَابُهُ To the end, that the, the people of hadith believe and they testify that Allah is above the seven heavens, above his throne, as the book has spoken. So now we have uh, the Qur'an and the Sunnah, the various types of proof. We have statements from the Sahaba, we have statements from the Salaf. We also have a citation of Ijma'. There are left two more things. One of them is Aqal and the second is Fitra. So as for Aqal, then there are two arguments I want to quickly present, given by Imam Ahmed and then one by Ibn Al-Qayyim. As for the argument of Imam Ahmed, rahimahullah, this is in his book, Al-Raddu Al-Jahmiya wa Znadika. So I'll, I'll read it out. So he says, when you wish, this is a statement of Imam Ahmed, when you wish to know that the Jahmi lies upon Allah when he claims that Allah is in every place and is not in one place exclusive to another, then say to him, so this is now an argument between a Sunni and a Jahmi. You say to this person, did not Allah exist whilst there was nothing? Did Allah exist when there was nothing? He will say yes. He has to say yes. Otherwise it's, it's atheism. You, you know, he can't say no. So when he says yes, he will say yes. Then say to him, when he created something, did he create it within himself or outside of himself? So in other words, this creation, did he create it in his own essence or outside of his own essence? He will only proceed. Uh, then, then the, uh, he will only proceed to three answers. There are only three answers to this question. If he claims that Allah created the creation within Himself, he has disbelieved for claiming that Allah created the jinn and the devils and iblis within Himself. This is kufr. So he cannot say that. And if he said he created them outside of Himself and then entered into them. So then Allah entered into his creation, you know, the, um, you know, the, uh, like for example, he's in every dirty, filthy place and so on and so forth, and in his creatures, this also is disbelief. That's a second possible answer. And the third possible answer, if he said he created them outside of himself, and then did not enter into them, then he has recanted from his saying entirely, and this is the statement of Ahlul Sunnah. Right, so this is a refutation of the Jahmiyyah who say Allah is in every place. And um, this leads us into the second argument, which is the argument also of Ibn al-Qayyim. And um, okay, if you want to follow through with this, we'll, we'll, we'll go through it inshallah. Um, okay, very quickly we'll go through it inshallah. So the Jahmi is asked a series of five questions. First question is, I'll quickly summarize it, inshallah. First question is, you ask the, the Jahmi, does Allah exist outside of the mind? Yes or no? Meaning, is Allah just an idea in the mind or does he actually exist outside of the mind? Right? Because there are, there are two types of things. There are things which are ideas in the mind only. So, you know, um, you know if, if I said, for example, love, or I said something which is, which is only a meaning, that meaning, you know, uh, there's nothing out there you can't see, for example, you know, um, love walking down the street. Love is an idea, 
right? So there are some things which are ideas, and there are some things which are actual things in external reality, right? So something can exist in the mind, but it doesn't actually exist in external reality. So the first question you say to the Jahmi, does Allah exist outside of the mind? If he says no, he's a kafir. If he says yes, then we move to the next question. And what's the next question? Is Allah's existence, is it the same as the creation or separate from the creation? Right? So is, is his existence, is it different to this creation? So if he says no, it's the same, he's a kafir. Because the creation and Allah are one. Right? So this is disbelief. If he says yes, it is separate, Allah's existence is separate to the creation. Then you say, third question, okay, if Allah's existence is separate from the creation, does Allah indwell into the creation or does the creation indwell into Allah? Meaning that, did Allah then come into any of his creation, like Isa salam, as the Christians say, or do the creatures indwell into Allah? And if he says either one of these two, yes, Allah entered his creation, or yes, his creation entered him, this now is disbelief. But if he says no, Allah didn't go into his creation, and nor did his creation go to him, then we ask him the fourth question. Is Allah al-qa'imu bi-nafsihi? Meaning, does Allah exist on his own? Is he like, is he, uh, this word al-qa'imu bi-nafsihi means something that is established by itself. Uh, is he established of his own accord? Does he have his own independent existence? Is his existence sufficient for itself? And um, if he says, yes he is, then he's asked the final question. To be honest, it gets a bit uh, technical at the end, so I'm going to stop there. But this is enough for us to conclude that Allah is separate from his creation, that he's established by himself, and in light of all of the other evidences that we've been looking at, it is clear that if his existence is separate from the creation, that he has to be above the creation. Right? Because only being above is it a, a praise. And in fact, this is the argument of Ibn Taymiyyah and others, where they said that if Allah was on a level with the creation or below the creation, then this would not be a praise of Allah And so from the meanings of Al-Ulu, then it means he is above his creation. Right? Only this is a praise and nothing else would be a praise. Now we come to the final argument and this is a good thing to finish with inshallah ta'ala and this is the argument from Fitra and there used to be a scholar of the Ash'aris. His name was, uh, you know, uh, Abu Al-Mu'ali Al-Jawaini. He was in the 5th century. He's a famous uh, scholar in fact, Al-Jawaini. He has writings on fiqh and things like that and which, which are studied. Uh, but he was an Ash'ari. And there's a beautiful narration I want to mention. And this uh, Al-Jawaini was an Ash'ari, but he also got affected by some of the Mu'tazila. So he began to speak with some of the statements of the Mu'tazila. And there was a person of the Sunnah, um, Abu Ja'far bin uh, Abu Ali al-Hafidh, he said, I heard Abu Al-Mu'ali Al-Jawaini. So he's in the gathering now, in the gathering of this Ash'ari scholar. And someone came to him and said, Ar-Rahmanu ala al-Arsh istawa. Mentioned this ayah. So what was it? Because this ayah now goes against the Ash'ari belief. Ar-Rahmanu ala al-Arsh istawa. 
So now he has to explain to the audience, to the people who are sitting there, he has, he has to try and convey his Ash'ari belief to the audience. So, he says, um, There was Allah whilst there was no throne. Kan Allah, there was Allah and there was no throne. Right, so now, what he's trying to do is he's trying to flee away from what the verse is saying. Right? He's trying to flee. He say, oh no, Allah existed before the throne was there. And Allah's status didn't change when he created the throne. He was still, he was still exactly as he was. Like he's trying to evade the ayah and dance around it, move around it by using vague, ambiguous speech. Right? So, I said, meaning the narrator, this is Abu Ali al-Hafiz, I said, we already know this. We, we already know this, what you're trying to say. Allah was there and there was no throne and then there was a throne and Allah was still exactly as he was this is just philosophical speech you're trying to escape from the fact that Allah is above his arsh that's all you're trying to do so this alim, this alim of the sunnah he said we already know this what you're speaking about but can you so he's trying to say look I know what you're trying to do but are you able to escape from the argument by way of necessity are you going to escape from the argument by way of necessity? What did he mean by this? So Al-Juwaini said, What do you mean? What are you speaking about? What do you mean? Can I escape from the argument by way of necessity, by durura? What do you mean by this? He said, and Now this is the argument from Fitra. He said, No person ever said, No person ever said, Rabbi, except that even before he moved his tongue, even before he uttered Rabbi, except that there was inwardly a desire, a qasd, that didn't go in that direction, nor did it go in this direction to the right or left, but it went upwards like this. Right? So before any person even says Rabbi, you are already in your heart, your heart is already turning to above. Before you, in no other direction, you're not thinking down, right, left, whatever. Your heart is, is the dust in your heart and it's going upwards like this. So he said, so, so he continued, he said, but he desires what is above. So do you have any escape from the necessary desire? Meaning, can you escape and deny this fact that in every, every person's fitrah, that before he even says Rabbi, his heart has already started turning to above. Right? Before he even raises his hands, his heart's already going above. So he says to Al-Juwaini, do you have any escape from this so we can finish our discussion? And, you know, so, Joven, can you escape from this? So that we can finish our discussion of above or below and all of this philosophy that you're trying to abyss. This is what he's saying to him. And then, because the whole gathering, this uh, Abu Ali al-Hafid says, then I began to cry. He began to cry. Why? Because this is a compelling argument. And Al-Juwaini began to cry. The people cried as well. So, he cried, the people started crying because they knew this is true. This is, this is true. They, they turned to Allah above. 
So the teacher, Al-Juwaini, he began, took his sleeve like this, and he began to go like this. He hit, hit, hit the chair with his sleeve. And he said, uh, he began to say, confusion, confusion. And meaning that the argument had bewildered him. He didn't know where he was. He was now confused. Right? He couldn't rebut this argument by way of fitrah because he knows it's true. He knows it's true. <coughs> and uh, so then he, you know, he was startled and great commotion, commotion occurred in the mosque. Now there's great commotion in the mosque. You know, there's commotion taking place. And so then he came down. So he stood on the uh, pulpit or he sat on his, on his seat. Then he came down. And his only answer to me, the only thing he could answer, to me, answer me with was to say, Ya Habibi, oh my beloved, confusion, confusion, bewilderment, meaning I, I'm lost, I'm confused, I'm bewildered. I don't know what to say. I can't argue against this. I'm, I'm, because he's trying to reconcile his Ash'ari belief uh, with, with the necessity of fitrah. And the two do not go, the two do not go together. So, um, and then... His associates, even his companions were saying that Al-Juwaini was saying Hayyarani Al-Hamadhani This is Abu Ali Al-Hamadhani He confused me Right? So this is an argument by way of fitrah and it destroyed one of the leading figures of the Ash'ari creed Al-Juwaini in, in the late 5th century Al-Juwaini and so this is the argument by way of fitrah so with that we conclude um, our, our discussion there of this belief. This is a distinguishing belief of the people of the Sunnah and it is from the greatest and loftiest, loftiest attributes of Allah, Allah is above his creation, uh, in his status, his rank and in his essence as well. And we have to be careful by all the, with all the tricks that the people play, uh, like Nashir will, will come to you and say to you, yes I believe, is, I believe Allah is above his creation in a way that you could in a way that you that you never can believe so you would think now from these speeches think wow mashallah this person believes allah is above his creation like what does it really mean he means he means allah is above his creation like you have a gold coin and you have a silver coin so gold is above the silver not that it's actually above 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 but in rank and in value and in worth, it is above the silver coin. This is what he means. So he's trying to deceive you and saying, yes, I believe Allah is above his creation and in a way that you could never believe or that you don't believe. And you think, mashallah, this per he, he believes in Al-Ulu. But he actually doesn't. He's a lying, deceiving, treacherous, using ambiguous speech to deceive you. So this is where you have to be careful with the people of Bid'ah because they have mechanisms. They have calculated ways of trying to deceive you with generalities that you would think this person is a person of the Sunnah up until you start examining and investigating and asking the right questions and asking him, what do you say about this? Yes, because this is the nature of the time, this was the nature of that time back then. Right, a thousand years ago because bid'ah spread, uh, schools became institutionalized, arguments were developed and they stuck to those arguments and they develop methods and techniques to <coughs> defend those arguments. And these have remained within the Ummah century after century and become more and more sophisticated as we go, you know, uh, as we pass through time. 
So we have to know our creed and we have to know the statements of the Salaf and why they said why, why they said what they said and the underlying reasons behind that. And inshallah this will give us basira upon our, our creed. And so that we don't become people who just read something and we don't understand, you know, what it means or we need to know why did they say this, what was the reason, what led them to say this and who were they ad addressing. And so all of these things give us additional understanding and knowledge and basira into, into all of that. So we close there, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, 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 Alhamdulillah,